and I were married in 2004, right? I just want to make sure I got that right. Married in 2004. Yeah. Whew. Dodged a bullet there, you guys. Real family. Anyway, we were married in 2004. We went on our honeymoon, and the day after we got back, we went to church. And as we got to church, there was a little old lady that came up to us, and she said, so, you guys are married now. When are you going to start having babies? And we're like, whoa, pump the brakes, Norma. Like, seriously. (laughs) We just got back from our honeymoon. Like, our marriage could be measured in hours by that point. It seemed really early to start the baby train a-rolling, you know what I mean? In college, no lie, I had eaten pizza that was older than my wedding vows at that point. Like, it just seemed really, really soon to start all that baby talk, you know what I mean? Now, not that it was any of Miss Norma's business, but Amber and I had decided pretty early on that although we both wanted children, we were going to wait just a little while before we started trying to have them. We figured, okay, we're either going to have like time to enjoy one another on the front end of our marriage before we have kids, or we're going to have time to enjoy one another's company on the back end of our marriage after the kids grow up and they move out of the house and we're retired. And after we talked about it for a little while, We thought it made a lot more sense to spend that time together on the front end of the marriage when we still liked each other, you know? That just seemed to be the right time for us. Now, listen, if you had kids right away, I'm not telling you you did the wrong thing. It was That's what worked for us. Every family's a little bit different. And so we decided we were going to wait just a little while. Fast forward five years, 2009. Amber and I are really chugging along with life. You know, things are going well. We had just built our first home in Florida, which was pretty exciting. Amber's business had taken off. She had gained a lot of traction, built a a good clientele up, and uh, things were going well in my ministry. And so we thought, hey, everything seems to be lining up right now. Maybe this is the right time to go ahead and start a family. We figured now's as good a time as anything. So kind of, you know, everything just seems to be right. And so we started planning. We started talking. You know, we thought to ourselves, when would we want our baby to be born? Well, we'd like it to be born in this time of the year. And so we started working our way backwards and we gave consideration to what part of the year Amber would like to be pregnant in, in Florida, AKA any time but summer, you know? And so we started doing all of this planning. We, we started talking about baby names and we started thinking about colors to paint the nursery. We wanted to be good parents. And so I went out and I bought a book called What to Expect Before You're Expecting. Not what to expect when you're expecting, but this was like the prequel. This is how to prepare yourself for that. Amber started taking prenatal multivitamins. I mean, we were ready, you guys, to have a family. That was eight years ago now. And in the last eight years, Amber and I have had more awkward doctor's appointments and invasive medical procedures than I can possibly tell you about. In those eight years, we've been diagnosed with unexplained fertility, which is the most frustrating sort of diagnosis you could possibly receive in your life because it's basically the doctor's way of saying, guys, we don't have the foggiest clue why you guys are not getting pregnant. A lot of people, it's obvious, and we can point to a specific cause, but with you two, sorry, we just can't pinpoint it. And part of the reason that that's such a difficult diagnosis is it also means that the treatment plan that they give us is kind of a shot in the dark. They don't really know what we should do in order to get pregnant. And so although they don't have any answers, it hasn't stopped us from spending, I don't know, more than 15 grand or so in the last eight years going through 
all of these different procedures and, you know, um, treatments and things like that in the hopes that one day we could have kids of our own. But after eight years of trying, stressing, praying harder than I think I've ever prayed about anything in my entire life, Amber and I still don't have the kids that we wanted, you know? If you've ever been through this, then you understand what it's like to be at that moment where you, you stand in front of your future. You know what's coming. You know what you're looking forward to. You know what's going to bring you happiness. And so you're like, all right, let's jump in with both feet. And then it doesn't come. Now, I don't know if you're dealing with this particular issue this morning. Probably not. The thing that you want most in the world may not be children. You may not want them at all, or you may already have a handful, and you're like, no more, please, God, okay? I don't know what it is that you in particular are wrestling with this morning, but I can tell you that every single person on the planet has something in their heart. Something in your life that you want deeply and desperately. Maybe it's not kids. Maybe you think, oh, if I could just get a husband by this point, I would be one happy lady. Or if I could just find a girl that I could commit to forever. Maybe you think, man, if I could just get you know, healed, if I could get beyond this diagnosis, if I could get beyond what I'm struggling with and dealing right now, then finally I could be fully and completely satisfied in life. I don't know what it is that you are struggling with this morning, but I can tell you there's something in your heart that you wish you had or something about you that you wish was true. And so this morning, as we wrap up our ideal family series, and we begin to wrap it up, we have one more uh, message after this. As we begin to wrap it up, I want to address the topics of singleness and infertility. Because some of you want to be a part of an ideal family, but you're not able to. You're hindered. There's something blocking your path. And if you're here this morning and you're not struggling with those particular areas, it's something altogether different for you, that's okay because we're actually going to use those two subjects as a lens through which we answer an important question, a question that will apply to every single one of you no matter where you're at in your journey in life. The question is this, what do we do when God says no to the things that we want most? What do we do when God says no to the things that we want most deeply in our lives? How do we handle it when our real family can't look like the ideal family that we've been building up in our head all these years? Not that it just doesn't look like the ideal family, but it actually cannot. How do you and I handle it when God says no to the thing that you want most in life. Amber and I expected that as soon as we started trying, we'd be blessed. Pull the goalie and here come the kids. You know, we just thought everything was going to work out. And after eight years of giving my heart to God and crying out to him and asking for the thing that, that we want most in life, he's continued to say no. And I'm every day faced with the decision, how am I going to respond? when God says no to the thing that I want most in life. And whether you recognize it or not, you have to wrestle that question to the ground every single day as well. So to answer that question, we're going to go to one of the most interesting and misunderstood passages in the Bible. It is a very, very curious passage. There's a, a guy named the Apostle Paul. He was a follower of Jesus. He started churches in the first century all over the Mediterranean world. 
And he writes a letter to a church that's in the city of Corinth. So this letter is called uh, the letter of 1 Corinthians. And in this passage, he says some things that have the power to help you to deal with this particular question. How do I uh, handle it when God says no to the thing that I want most? So here's the passage, 1 Corinthians chapter number 7. We're going to start reading. We're going to take this in sections this morning. We're going to start reading here in verse number 25. Paul says, now regarding your question about the young women who are not yet married. So they had written to Paul. He had started their church and then he had moved on and he was going to found other churches in different areas of the world. And so they wrote him a letter and they said, Paul, we've got a question about people who are single. How do we handle that? What should we do? And they gave him a whole long list of things that they were curious about. And so Paul writes them back a letter and he addresses a bunch of different things, including their questions on singleness and how they should handle that as a follower of Jesus. Now, regarding your question about the young women who are not yet married, I do not have a command from the Lord for them, but the Lord in his mercy has given me wisdom that can be trusted and I will share it with you. Now, Paul is not saying here that, that what he's about to write is not from God. What he's saying is in the next few sentences, I'm not gonna quote Jesus. So if you were to go earlier up in 1 Corinthians chapter number seven, he's answering their questions and he says, now I want you to remember what Jesus told us about this subject and he quotes Jesus. Now, when he gets to this particular issue on singleness, he says, now look, I'm not quoting Jesus here. I'm gonna give you the best wisdom I have on the subject and I believe that this is God's spirit telling me what? I should share with you. He says, because of the present crisis, I think it best to remain as you are. If you have a wife, do not seek to end the marriage. If you do not have a wife, do not seek to get married. But if you do get married, it is not a sin. And if a young woman gets married, it's not a sin. However, those who get married at this time will have troubles, and I'm trying to spare you from those problems. Paul was a romantic, you guys. He was single. He tells us that in 1 Corinthians chapter number 7. And I'm thinking this is the reason why, because he, he seemed to think like people who got married were going to have constant troubles. The reason that he says that is really key. If you notice the first line there, he says, because of the present crisis. You see, in his world, the early church was experiencing severe persecution. The Roman government was actually attacking the Christian church. And so Paul says, literally, we are under the threat of death and imprisonment. And so because of what you and I are enduring today, Paul says to these first century followers of Jesus, then I think it's best for you not to seek a wife or not to seek a, a, a separation or children in, in some cases. Like, I think you should stay right where you're at. Now, because he says the reason for this instruction is the present crisis that they were going through, you and I are not involved in that same sort of crisis. We are not persecuted the way the early church was. And so these particular instructions... This plan that Paul gives, it doesn't apply to you and I directly. So if Paul were here today, he would not look you in the eye and say, you know, if you're not married, you should stay unmarried. He wouldn't say that. He wouldn't say to you, if you don't have kids, don't try to seek kids right now. It's a bad time. No, instead he would say, okay, because of the world that we live in, it would be okay for you to pursue a marriage or to pursue children. So the particulars of what he says in these verses don't apply to us, but the principles that he he gives to that church will apply to you and to me. Essentially, what Paul is saying here is that we should not buy the lie 
that we will find fulfillment once we change our circumstances. He was talking to people who thought, okay, life is really tough right now. Maybe the thing that I need is a wife to endure all this with. Maybe that's what will make life tolerable and fulfilling and fun. And he says, guys, no, that's not really going to give you the answer that you're seeking. He's looking at people who want to begin families and businesses and all of those things. And he tells them in that moment, listen, guys, do not buy the lie that you will be happy once your circumstances change. It's what we do, isn't it? We recognize that there's something missing inside of our hearts. There's like a void. There's a hole, so to speak, inside of our soul. And so we have this tendency to tell ourselves, the thing that I'm missing is a spouse. That's what I need to be happy. And if I could just get a spouse, then everything would be okay. Ask anybody who's married and they'll tell you that does not work out, okay? We have a tendency to say, gosh, I do it all the time, you guys, to say, oh, if I could just have kids, if I could just be a dad, I've wanted to be a dad so desperately, if I could just have kids and be a dad, then I would be fulfilled, then I would be happy in life. Some of you guys are like, hey, I've already got a spouse, if I could just get a different one, then I would be happy, I would be so fulfilled if I could just find somebody better. If I could just move out of this neighborhood and into that neighborhood, if I could change those circumstances, then finally I'd be happy and fulfilled. If I could just have my dad back, if I could just have him with me for a little while longer, then I would be happy. I would be fulfilled. I would be joyous. I would have meaning and purpose. It's like everything would just click and life would be okay. We have this amazing ability to convince ourselves that once I have whatever it is, then I can finally enjoy life. Can I get you to do something really quick? Just in the silence of your own heart, you don't have to share this. I don't want you to speak it out loud. Can you just acknowledge whatever it is that you're telling yourself, if I could just have that? then I'd be happy. Maybe it's a promotion. Maybe it's a family. Maybe it's a a restored relationship, healing in your body. I don't know what it is. But could you just take a moment and acknowledge that? For me, it's kids. I'm not ashamed to admit it. Gosh, God, if you would just give me kids, then I'd be happy and fulfilled. And God says, no, I'm not so sure about that. You see, here's what happens. When we get the things that we want so badly, we enjoy them for a while. They bring us happiness, but they don't seem to give us the fulfillment, the complete satisfaction that we were after. You were so certain when you married your spouse that you would never need another body in the rest of your life, and yet you still feel that pull and attraction to other people, don't you? Because people can never fully and finally satisfy us. You thought to yourself, oh man, if I could just get the new iPhone, I would be set. I would not need another phone for years and years and years. And then they release the new model and you're like jealous, envious. People have bigger screens, thinner screens, you know. And it's because possessions can never fully and finally satisfy you. We have this belief that if I can just get that, that's the thing, that's the obstacle, that's what's standing in my way between the life I have and the life I always wanted. But you've seen this play out time and time again in your life. You get the thing that you think will make you finally fulfilled, and it doesn't. 
Now, I'm not saying that a spouse wouldn't make you happy. I'm not saying that kids would not bring tons of joy into your life. What I'm saying is they will not finally and fully satisfy you the way that you are expecting. That's just not how it works. And when you get those things that you long for so deeply, guess what? It creates a whole new cycle of problems that you have to deal with. Ask anybody who's married. They will tell you. When you get married, it's a wonderful thing, but man, does it come with a whole new slew of issues. You finally get that bigger house you want. Guess what? You have to pay more taxes. There's more yard upkeep. You know, it goes on and on and on. We think these things will satisfy us. It turns out they don't, and they create new problems for us every single time. That's because people and possessions were never meant to satisfy you. You were not created to find fulfillment in a shiny new car or a new baby or a hotter wife. You were not created to find fulfillment in people or possessions. You were created to find fulfillment in something much deeper. Let me show you what Paul says here. We'll look at verse 29. He goes on and he writes, But let me say this, dear brothers and sisters. The time that remains is very short. So from now on, those with wives should focus not only on their marriage. Those who weep or who rejoice or who buy things should not be absorbed by their weeping and their joy and their possessions. Those who use the things of this world should not become attached to them. For this world as we know it will soon pass away. Paul acknowledges what you and I try to avoid admitting, that we find our fulfillment in people and possessions, or at least we try to. And those are not bad. I want you to understand, I'm not speaking against marriage. Paul was not speaking against marriage. That's why some people get so confused at this. They're like, wait, it seems like Paul is saying marriage and family and business and buying and selling, all those are bad things. No, he's not saying they're bad things. But he says, if we use them, To gauge the quality of our life, we will end up dissatisfied every moment of every day because you were not created to find meaning and purpose and fulfillment in people or possessions. You're asking them to do something for you that they cannot do. They cannot give you the fulfillment that you want. He says something that's so key here. I want to read it again, and I've got it underlined so you don't miss it this time, okay? Look at what he says here in this passage. He says, those who use the things of this world should not become attached to them. Earlier on, a couple verses there in that same paragraph before, he says, do not be absorbed by the things around you. Don't become too attached to your plan to find a spouse. Don't become absorbed with the idea that once you finally have a baby, your life will it'll have all the meaning that you've always dreamt it will. Don't believe the lie that changing your circumstances will give you the full and complete joy that you've always wanted. That's not how it works. This phrase here that he uses, those who use the things of this world should not become attached to them. The, the, the phrase in the original language, Paul wrote this in Greek, and we've translated it into English. And in the Greek, it's phrased really interestingly. A literal way to translate this passage is should not abuse those things. 
See, if we're trying to find our fulfillment in people and possessions, we will abuse them. I don't mean batter them. I don't mean physical abuse. I mean abuse in the sense that we use things the way that they were not intended to be used. People, family, a spouse, a new whatever was never designed to give you the fulfillment that you seek. And when you try to wring that out of them, you're actually abusing that very good gift that God has given to you. God calls us to something deeper, something better, something that is ultimately satisfying and fulfilling. Anytime that you say, God, if I could only have a husband, then I'd be happy, I'd be satisfied. You're essentially looking at God and saying, God, you're not enough. God, this is the only thing that I need. And God knows better. Anytime I look at God or I say in prayer, God, if you would just give me a family, my goodness, I mean, how much do I have to do for you? Anytime I take that attitude, guess what? I'm putting my family or my hope for a family ahead of God. I'm trying to get from them a happiness and satisfaction that they will never, ever be able to provide. This is part of the reason that so many people are unhappy in their family. You're looking at your spouse, you're looking at your kids, you're looking at your home and your car and your promotion and your bank account to give you a satisfaction that they can never, ever provide. That is a form of abuse of the very good gift that God has placed into your life. You weren't created to find your fulfillment in those things. You were created to find your fulfillment in God, in Jesus. There was this uh, really interesting episode in Jesus' life where one time he's standing at a well, and there's a woman that comes along, and she starts pulling water up out of the well. And Jesus has a conversation with her about this water that they're drinking. It's in the middle of the desert. They're all hot and thirsty. And he uses the water as a metaphor. And so he says to this woman, he says, listen, Anyone who drinks this water, that is the water that comes from the earth, the physical water, anyone who drinks from that water will be thirsty again and again and again. They will never be fully and finally satisfied. But he says to her, anyone who drinks the water that I give to them will be satisfied. Because the fulfillment that you and I seek cannot come from people and possessions. It can only come from the God who created us. The fulfillment, happiness, joy, meaning, purpose that you you just know. Finally, if I ever get married, if I ever have kids, if I ever get X, Y, or Z, if I get those things, then I know I'll be fulfilled. And God says, no, you were created to find fulfillment in me, not in those things. Now, the Bible actually has a word that it uses to describe it, to describe what it's like when we choose something else to give us what only God can. Maybe it's a word you've heard before. Maybe it's a word that's totally brand new to you. The word that the scripture uses is idolatry. Idolatry is essentially trying to get from any created thing what you can only get from God. We commit idolatry when we say, I will never be happy until I get that thing or that person. We commit idolatry anytime we try to wring out of them the good things that only God can provide to us. We, uh, we commit idolatry anytime we beat ourselves up 
because we're 30 years old and still single, or we're 40 and still childless. That's idolatry. That's putting something else in the place of God. That's taking something that should be good and cause joy and happiness and saying, if I don't get it, I can never live a meaningful and full life. Married folks, parents, anytime you give your single friends or your friends without kids, anytime you give them the impression that their life hasn't really started yet, you're committing idolatry too. Because the scripture teaches that things don't provide joy. Things don't provide fulfillment. Things don't provide purpose and meaning. We find that in God. And that means that we can experience a meaningful and joyous life even if we never get the things that we want most desperately. Because if we're not careful, we can make an idol out of very good things and then miss out on the best things that God has for us. You will not find joy and fulfillment in your circumstances. You will find joy and fulfillment in the one who exists beyond your circumstances, in God and God alone. So let me ask you this question. Don't answer out loud. I'm not grading you or anything. I just want you to be honest. Have I made an idol out of getting married or starting a family? Have I believed the lie that that's all that's standing between me and fulfillment? Have I elevated the good gifts that God has given me? If you're already married, if you already have kids, have you elevated them to God's place in your life? They are the most important thing. You try to wring out of them what God can give you. If so, then I want to show you a better way. I want to give you the opportunity to, to frame your singleness or your childlessness or your family that you've been blessed with. I want you to frame it in the proper context. So let's move on here. Chapter 7, verses 32 and 35. This is the last section we're going to read. Paul says, I want you to be free from the concerns of this life. An unmarried man can spend his time doing the Lord's work and thinking how to please him. But a married man has to think about his earthly responsibilities and how to please his wife. Happy wife, happy life. You didn't know that was in the Bible, but that's basically what Paul says. His interests are divided. In the same way, a woman who is no longer married or has never been married can be devoted to the Lord and holy in body and spirit in a way that a married person just can't. But a married woman has to think about her earthly responsibilities and how to please her husband. Now, I'm saying this for your benefit. You need to understand there is a way of viewing your situation in life in which it becomes a benefit and a blessing, not a hindrance and an obstacle. I'm saying this for your benefit, not to place restrictions on you. I want you to do whatever will help you serve the Lord best with as few distractions as possible. Do you understand that being single or childless or not getting the promotion that you know you deserve or losing a loved one, that is not a curse from God? We have a tendency to look at it as a curse. God, why? Why can't you just give me the one thing that I want? If you gave me this, I'd never ask for anything again. We have a tendency to look at it as a curse and a punishment from God. And the scripture is so clear that that is not at all what's going on here. That there is reasons that God has for what's happening in our life, and we can choose to respond to that in one of two ways. 
We can either look at it as a curse, as punishment. We can get angry. We can get bitter. We can say, this is not fair. How come that person over there who doesn't even follow you gets everything they want? I mean, goodness gracious, I was a youth pastor for 16 years. Do you know how many teenage girls I've seen get pregnant before my wife and I? It's crazy. And I'm like, God, come on. Why do you do this to me? And God says, Dan, you can look at this as a punishment or you can look at it as an opportunity. You can look at it as an obstacle to what will make you happy, or you can recognize that you can find happiness in something beyond your circumstances. You've got to change the way you think about the situation that you find yourself in, because you can't fix it. Like, I can't think my way to a baby. That's not how it works. You can't think your way to a spouse. If you could, you would have already done it. You cannot make it happen, otherwise you already would. So if you find yourself stuck, I'm in this situation. It's not what I would have asked for, God. How you respond to it will determine whether or not you can continue to live a fulfilling and happy life. So look at your situation. Look at your life uh, circumstances as an opportunity, not as obstacles. Specifically, if you are single or if you're childless, let's be honest, you have more free time than people who are married and have children. Now, I know you're busy. I get that. Like, I'm not saying that you're not busy. What I'm telling you is you will get busier when you add a family to the equation. You won't have more free time than what you have right now. So you can look at it as a curse, as a punishment, or you can say, hey, there's an opportunity here that I may not have later in my life. You have more energy than most parents and married people have. You just, you know, you got all this energy because you don't have a a place to channel it at the moment. And so you've got an opportunity to use this free time and this energy. You have more disposable income. Some of you have more disposable income, okay? You have the opportunity at this stage in your life to use these resources that God has given you. You can invest them in his kingdom or you can get mad and you can get angry and just say, I'm gonna spend it all on me because I can't have the things that I want most anyway. God gives us the opportunity to use our situation for the good of the world around us, to make a difference instead of saying, woe is me, I can never be happy and fulfilled. My life basically is a shadow of what it should be because I can't have a spouse or I can't have kids or I can't have my marriage back or I can't have whatever it is. Anytime that you allow yourself to believe those words, you are missing out on the opportunity that God has given you. Now, I'll be the first to say it still sucks. If you don't have the things that you want, it sucks. That's the only word for it. It can be miserable. You carry around an ache inside of your heart every single day. If you're single, every attractive person you walk by is just like, oh. If you don't have kids, every kid you see, even the ugly ones, you're like, oh, they're so cute. Come here. There are no ugly children. It's just a joke. Don't get mad and email me. If you don't have the home you want, if you don't have the job you want, every time you see something that reminds you of what you don't have, you're going to experience heartache. And I understand that. But if the heartache doesn't go away, what are you going to do? Are you going to live your entire life believing that you cannot be happy? 
Are you going to live your entire life believing the lie that the only thing that stands between you and fulfillment is a change in your circumstances? No, God calls you instead to find fulfillment and meaning and purpose in him and then to recognize the opportunities that stand before you as somebody who isn't as tied down as somebody who's already married with children. Do you realize married people look at you and they're jealous? They're like, you guys can go out in the, any time. You're like, oh, it's nine o'clock at night. Let's go get waffles downtown. And you go do it. And they're like, oh, I would love for that to happen. And you're jealous of them. And both of you guys are believing the lie that circumstances are what are keeping you unfulfilled. God gives us the opportunity to find that meaning and that fulfillment in him. Too many people who are struggling in these areas are living life as if it's a waiting room. You're letting the best years of your life pass you by. You're missing out on the opportunities to invest the resources that God has placed in your hands at this moment because you keep thinking one day the door is gonna open and I'm gonna be able to step into the family that I've always wanted and you're wasting the years that you've been given right now. Let me encourage you, if you find yourself in the same situation that I find myself in, where there is something that I want deeply and desperately, and I'm like, God, I don't understand why I can't have it, if only, if only, if only. Can I encourage you to remind yourself every single day that God is the one who will satisfy the need in your heart? You can turn to him, you can trust in him, you can lean into him. And if he ever decides to give you a spouse, wonderful. If he ever decides to give us a, a whole little room full of rugrats, wonderful. And if he doesn't, I can still be happy and fulfilled. I can still make a meaningful contribution to this world. I don't have to believe that somehow I'm a second class person or that my life is just a, a dim shadow of the life that you all get to live because I don't have everything that you do. Let me finish up this morning by speaking to those of you guys who are married. If you're married and you have kids, I think you mean well. I think you have good intentions with the way that you relate to those of us who don't have kids or who don't have a spouse yet. I think you mean well, but sometimes some of the things that you say actually reinforce the unhealthy attitudes that we already carry around. So I'm gonna finish up by giving you a few things not to say to the single people and to the uh, childless in your life. And then I'll give you a couple of things that you can say to them that hopefully will help encourage them in the situation that they find themselves in. All right, so here you go. Number one, this is not on the screen. You'll just have to listen here. Don't tell us the stories of all the miracles that you know of people finding a spouse after eight years of searching and people finally having kids after seven years of trying. Like we've heard so many of those stories, you guys. We don't need to be convinced that God can change our situation. We're trying to struggle. We're trying to figure out why he hasn't changed our situation. You know what I mean? And so every time you tell me a story of somebody who found a spouse or somebody who had kids or somebody who got their promotion or whatever, I'm confronted with the fact that for whatever reason, God in his sovereignty has chosen not to give it to me. I don't need you to tell me a story of what God can do. I want you to tell me that I can still live a meaningful life. I can still be happy and fulfilled and make a difference in our world even if God continues to say no 
to all the things that we hope he'll say yes to. I know you mean well. You're trying to encourage us. Keep the faith. Don't give up. God will do it. I don't know that God will do it. And you don't know that either. So let's be careful with what we say to one another, okay? Second thing I'll encourage you not to say or not to do. Don't ask us every 10 days how things are going, okay? Anything changed on the baby front, Dan? No, thank you for reminding me. Listen, if Amber and I ever get pregnant, you will know. I will be shouting so loud, you'll hear me in Airdrie, okay? You don't have to come up to me after the service today and you know, tell me stories and ask me questions and all those things. Like I'm bearing my situation so that you can find encouragement in yours. And, and although you may only be asking once every so often, so are a lot of other people. And pretty soon, it's like the only conversations we ever end up having are about fertility or about marriage or about whatever the case may be. And it just reinforces in our mind that this is the important thing. This is what we're supposed to be focused on. And God says, no, that is idolatry. Focus instead on your relationship with me. Find your fulfillment in something much more satisfying. So as much as I love you guys, I don't need you to run up and ask me a bunch of questions about it. And don't do that to the other, you know, people who are struggling in this area in your life. I'll tell you what you can do here in just a moment, but let me give you one more thing. And man, I mean this one so sincerely. If God blesses you in a way that he hasn't blessed me, don't apologize for it. Man, we, we started, or Amber really started a fertility group um, back in Florida. You know, just like an infertility group is really what it was. Fertility group sounded weird. She started an infertility group with ladies who were struggling in trying to conceive. And there were like seven or eight ladies. And by the end of their time together, all of them but one had gotten pregnant. That hurts a little bit. But you know, the truth is, we were celebrating because God was moving and answering prayers and providing and bringing joy and you know all of those different things. And so when you are like, oh gosh, I know you guys are, are struggling to find a spouse and so I'm gonna be careful not to talk about the fact that I just got engaged. You know what? You're not really doing us a favor. Allow us to celebrate with you. If you get pregnant, especially if you've been struggling with this for a really long time, you guys, let us celebrate what God does with you. Don't apologize for God's blessing. Enjoy it as much as you should without turning it into idolatry. All right, last thing I'll say. This is how you can serve the people around you who are struggling with singleness, infertility, sickness, whatever the case may be. Rather than trying to give us the answers Give us love and encouragement instead. You see, we're worried about finding a family. And in truth, we already belong to the ultimate family. I can find in you, in the church, in this body of Jesus, I can find so much of the fulfillment and satisfaction that I think I can only find when my family begins. And so what I need from you and what all people in our situation, what we need is a reminder that we are already surrounded by a family who loves us and cares for us and wants to do life alongside of us. The best thing you can do is to just say, hey, Dan, I know you guys are still dealing with this issue. I'm praying for you. I just want you to know I'm praying for you, that you would find your fulfillment and satisfaction in God and in nothing else. So if he answers your prayers, wonderful. If he chooses not to, that's okay. I'm praying for you that you would be okay even if God doesn't give you a spouse for another five or six or eight or ever years. 
That is what we need. A, a body, a family surrounding us, encouraging us, lifting us up and letting us know that we do not need to wait for our life to begin. That we can invest ourselves into Jesus and our relationship with him and find what it is that we're missing. Thank you.